Welcome to Shooting for the Stars, a podcast series brought to you by Southern Cross Business Advisors, helping our clients identify and achieve their life goals. Happy New Financial Year to all of our wonderful esteemed clients and anyone in general who is tuning in and listening to the first episode of the 2023 financial year of Shooting for the Stars, brought to you by yours truly, Louis Bulzomi, on behalf of the great team at Southern Cross Business Advisors, still recovering, but recovering nicely, I might add, from a very well-deserved celebration yesterday to cap off the 2022 financial year. And as we now head into the next 12 months, there's still a degree of uncertainty in the air regarding the cost of living pressures, the rising in interest rates and inflation, what's happening on the other side of the world and all things in between. But out of all of that uncertainty and of all of that doom and gloom, there is a silver lining which takes effect today for most employees covered by most fair work Awards, And that, of course, is a decision handed down by the Fair Work Commission just a couple of weeks ago to increase the minimum wage. And to take you through that decision, here is the President of the Fair Work Commission, Justice Ian Ross. Taking all the relevant considerations into account, we have decided to award an increase of $40 per week to the national minimum wage, which amounts to an increase of 5.2%. The national minimum wage will be $812.60 per week or $21.38 per hour. This level of increase will protect the real value of the wages of the lowest paid workers. The proposed national minimum wage and our assessment of all of the other relevant considerations have also led us to award an increase in modern award minimum wages. The present circumstances warrant an approach which gives a greater level of support to the low paid while seeking to contain inflationary pressures. We propose to award a proportionately higher increase to lower paid employees. We propose to increase modern award minimum wages by 4.6%, subject to a minimum increase of $40 per week. In effect, modern award minimum wage rates above $869.60 per week will receive a 4.6% adjustments. Wage rates below that level will be adjusted by $40 per week. In most modern awards, the effect of our decision will be that the 4.6% adjustment will cut in at around the C10 or trade level classification rate, and the flat $40 increase will apply to the lower classifications. We accept that the approach we have adopted will result in some, albeit minor, compression in relativities, but that consideration is to be balanced against the need to provide greater relief to low paid workers in the context of rising cost of living pressures. Given the current strength of the labour market, the adjustments we propose to make 
will not have a significant adverse effect on the performance and competitiveness of the national economy. In our view, awarding an increase in modern award minimum wages of the magnitude proposed by ACCER, some 6.5%, and the ACTU, 5.5%, would, in the present economic circumstances, pose a real risk of significant adverse effects to the national economy. We acknowledge that the increases we have determined will mean a real wage cut for some award-reliant employees. This is an issue that can be addressed in subsequent reviews. I now turn to the timing of these increases. Absent exceptional circumstances, the Act provides that variations to a national minimum wage order and to modern award minimum wages are to operate from 1 July in the financial year following the review. We are satisfied that exceptional circumstances exist, such as to warrant a delayed operative date for certain modern awards. These awards are in the aviation, tourism and hospitality sector. The variation determinations in respect of the modern awards on this slide will come into operation on 1 October 2022. In respect of the remaining modern awards, we have not been persuaded that there are exceptional circumstances such as to warrant a delayed operative date in the variation determinations arising from this review. Increases in these awards will operate from 1 July 2022. We acknowledge that that operative date will mean that some businesses covered by these modern awards will face two minimum wage increases within a 12-month period. But those businesses have also had the benefit of a delayed operative date arising from last year's decision. We now publish the decision. That was the President of the Fair Work Commission, the Honourable Justice Ian Ross there, announcing some welcome relief, at least temporarily, for those on the lower end of the wage earning spectrum. And it was certainly music to the ears of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, who did want a little more of an increase. They were asking for 5.5%, as opposed to the original proposal of just 5%, but it's the old meet halfway agreement, or thereabouts, 5.2%, and the boss of the ACTU, Sally McManus, was very satisfied with the final decision. Here's what she had to say. Really happy with this outcome. Um, We think it's going to make a significant difference to the pressures that low-paid workers are under with cost of living rising. Um, The union movement fought so hard for this increase across pretty heavy um, crosswinds. Uh, We also had to uh, oppose what the employers were arguing for, which was very significant real wage cuts at a time when their profits are up 20% and productivity is up, as well as unemployment being low. So this decision is one that is reasonable and it's fair. Um, It means that um, for low-paid workers like Jordan, who's with me, uh, he'll have a better ability to pay the rent and to pay for the groceries and to pay for um, energy bills as well. 
Uh, it is disappointing that they have said that they're going to delay these increases for um, parts of uh, the workforce, that mainly being in the area of hospitality and in uh, airlines. Uh, we know that uh, airlines and aviation at the moment is actually very um, busy and has recovered and that uh, we believe that, it, that that is not a reasonable thing to withhold those increases for that period of time. The employers in this country argued for um, big real wage cuts of around 3%. Uh, that would have uh, actually had a big negative effect on the economy and also, of course, hurt working families considerably. Um, the union movement is um, happy and proud that we've fought um, for this increase and that it's going to make a big difference for so many workers. I would say this, there's two big levers or in our wages policy that makes a big difference or makes all the difference for pay increases in our country. The first is what we've just had, which is the annual wage review, which affects 25% uh, of the workforce. They now know what increase they are going to get on the 1st of July this year. So anywhere between for the lowest paid um, $40 a week and for um, the highest paid under awards 4.6%. Now, for the rest of the economy and for the rest of the work, working uh, workforce, they don't know how much they're going to get. The other big driver of wage increases is collective bargaining. Collective bargaining in our country has fallen off a cliff. It, um, uh, 12 years ago, it was nearly 30% of the workforce covered by collective agreements. It's plummeted to around 15% now. And it's like the engine room of wages growth is bargaining alongside what happens here with the annual wage review. And when that engine room has conked out, you're in a situation where we've got low um, wage increases that have been bedded in for a long period of time now. We know from previous annual wage increases, it makes a small impact in the overall um, wage increases. So around 1%, like a bit less, uh, it makes a, a bump to uh, what will happen with wages overall, but not enough to lift it to a point where people are able to cope with cost of living increases, or for that matter, like to deal with the you know, decade of neglect that we've had. So I think that this means that there needs to be a concentration on fixing the whole picture so that we return in our country to a situation where working people are fairly sharing in our nation's wealth. Um, Labor's share of our overall uh, wealth of our country, the GDP, has never been at a lower point than it is at the moment. And that's not a um, position that we want to be in as a country. All of uh, Australians should share in the, in the recovery and, and share in the growth that they are producing. And at, at, at the moment, they're not. And the reason why they're not is because our wages system is stuck in the past and it's holding back wages increases. Having said that, that's, that's in the future. That's the things that we've got to fix, and we know that, and we're going to um, work with the incoming government, the new government, uh, to do that, and obviously have those discussions as well with the employers about fixing collective bargaining. But today, we welcome the fact that, uh, that low-paid workers have had this increase and the fact that union movement has fought so hard to achieve it. Um, it's, it's a big, big relief. For me, um, it means that I'm going to be able to confidently work, um, knowing that I'm going to have the bare minimum covered, and that hasn't always been the case, um, especially with having to do university at the same time, like a lot of people um, struggle to do full time. That's 36 hours just for uni, then having to work 36 hours a week on top of that just to cover the bills. It's it's quite hard. 
would the extra money go towards, Jerome? What would you be spending that extra, little bit extra each week or each quarter? Um, it's probably going to go towards groceries, but, I mean, you learn to be very, very um, conservative with your money and, I mean, I hope that I'm able to put some of it into savings. Um, I, who knows what that will go towards in the future. Yes, a far more relieved and happier Jordan speaking alongside the head of the ACTU, Sally McManus, as she delivered her response to the Fair Work Commission's decision. And you can certainly tell in Jordan's voice how much stress he has felt and how much of a mental toll everything has taken on him in the lead-up to this decision. So, Jordan, we wish you all the very best. And, of course, we wish everyone in a similar situation to you all the very best. And we are certainly glad that this news has been taken very favourably by you and those in your situation. Now, not everyone is going to experience this wage increase as of today. There are some industries and some awards that won't see the wage increase take effect until the 1st of October. And that was brought up by Sally then. Now, she was somewhat frustrated that these particular industries weren't included with everyone else. But look, to be fair, yes, they are thriving at the moment. But throughout the worst of the pandemic, these industries were arguably the hardest hit. And of course, we're talking about aviation, hospitality and tourism. So during the worst of the lockdowns and the major restrictions that remained in place, even when we were allowed to leave home, these industries were typically the first to be shut down and the last to fully reopen. So even if they were open, they suffered far greater and more dense restrictions than other industries did, especially those that continued to operate during the lockdowns experienced over the last couple of years. So I can understand why these industries have been given an extra three months before they have to absorb the increase in the national minimum wage. And that's despite how they've been tracking in recent months since everything has practically reopened in full. Understandably so, people, you know, they've missed out on being able to go to restaurants and bars and clubs more regularly, jump on an aeroplane and go and fly domestically or even internationally, go around the country or overseas and look at various places and enjoy the wondrous landmarks that this world has to offer. That has been taken away from us the last couple of years. So, you know, fair is fair, Sally. I mean, uh, what's the old saying? Fair suck of the sauce bottle. Former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd used to say that quite a fair bit. Let these industries enjoy the rapid rise back to prominent business for a little bit longer before they then take on the extra wage increase. That's my opinion anyway. So I reckon it's fair that these industries can have an extra few months to get themselves ready for it. So anyway, the awards in particular that won't kick in until the 1st of October 2022 to absorb the minimum wage increase are the Air Pilots Award, the Aircraft Cabin Crew Award, the Airline Operations Ground Staff Award, the Airport Employees Award, the Air Services Australia Enterprise Award, the Hospitality Industry General Award, the Registered and Licensed Clubs Award, the Restaurant Industry Award, the Alpine Resorts Award, and the Marine Tourism and Charter Vessels Award. So it won't be until the 1st of October 2022 that these awards will join all the other awards and absorb the minimum wage increase. Well, the minimum wage increase is not the only thing to come into effect from today. There are a plethora of other things that 
employees and employers alike will need to take into consideration from this day forward. One of those is the high income threshold and compensation cap. From the 1st of July, 2022, the high income threshold will go to $162,000 and the compensation cap will be $81,000. So what does this all mean? Well, when an employee earns more than the high income threshold, the relevant award doesn't apply to them anymore and they are no longer eligible to apply to unfair dismissal claims through the Fair Work Commission. It will have to go through the regular court system, which can become very costly. Now, these employees are still protected by minimum conditions and protections in the Fair Work Act, including the stock standard national employment standards. The high income threshold is reviewed each year, and you can find out more by going to the Fair Work website at fairwork.gov.au and clicking on the award and agreement free wages and conditions link. In terms of the compensation cap, this is the most that the Fair Work Commission can order an employer to pay an employee should the employee win an unfair dismissal case. The cap changes on the 1st of July each year and is set by the Fair Work Regulations. So just to reiterate, the high income threshold is at $162,000 and the compensation cap at $81,000. More information at fairwork.gov.au. Now on to the salary and wages accompaniment known as superannuation. And yes, from today, just like with the increase in the minimum wage, there is an increase in the super guarantee rate. It's going up from 10% to 10.5%. So an extra half of a percentage point is what employers will need to find to pay their employees super on top of their ordinary time earnings, which of course is not exactly the same as their overall salary and wages. There are certain elements of salary and wages that don't attract super, the most notable example being overtime hours that are over and above the ordinary hours stated in an award or agreement. And that's not to be confused with overtime hours where the ordinary hours of work are not stated in an award or agreement or not separated from other hours. If they are just kind of blended in to the ordinary hours of work, and you might say, oh, yeah, normally we have your four hours today, but we're going to make you work five or six, but nothing's been explicitly stated in the agreement or the award that, hey, those extra two hours are actually overtime, then all those hours are subject to super. However, say, for example, someone's uh, got an agreement in place where they work 38 hours a week, they end up working 42, those extra four hours are clearly overtime hours, and those hours are not subject to super. Other examples are expense allowances that are expected to be used in full. Not only are they not subject to super, but they are kept off the salary and wages record for single touch payroll and income statement purposes, formerly known as PAYG payment summaries. Uh, any reimbursement of expenses, including travel costs, payments for unfair dismissal and workers' compensation where the employee has not returned to work or is not working, neither of those are subject to super either. Also, if you earn an on-call allowance outside the ordinary hours of work, technically overtime on-call. Also, that is not subject to super. So there are some examples there. If you need to find the full list, just go to the ATO website, ato.gov.au, and search ordinary time earnings. But yes, other than that, employers will have to find some extra cash to deposit into their employees' superannuation accounts. And it's not only because of the rise in the super guarantee rate that they have to find this extra cash. 
They'll also have to find extra cash to pay their employees from dollar number one in a calendar month, even if they don't earn $450. So that old threshold where the employee had to earn $450 or more in a calendar month in order to attract super is gone. Forget about it. It's gone the way of the dodo bird. So from today, from dollar one, that's when you need to pay the 10 and a half cents of super. The only exception to that rule that has carried over from the old rules is the under 18 rule where if an employee is under the age of 18 and works 30 hours or less in a given week, those hours are not subject to super. So here's an example. Lily is 17 years old. From the 20th to the 24th of June, 2022, she worked 32 hours at a local hardware store and earned $800 before tax. Her employer paid her on the 2nd of July, 2022. She also works six hours a month as a barista for a cafe down the road, earning $150. As Lily worked over 30 hours in one week in her job with the hardware store, her employer will need to pay her super on the $800 earned as she was paid after the 1st of July, 2022. As Lily does not work 30 hours in a week in her job as a barista, she won't be entitled to super for this work. Likewise, Lily won't be entitled to super for any weeks she works less than 30 hours for the hardware store. So keep that in mind. The under 18 30 hour rule remains in place. Likewise for the domestic or private workers. So for example, nannies, housekeepers, or carers, if they work 30 hours or less in a week, there's no super. Any more than 30 hours, then they'll attract super on every dollar they earn. No longer will it be till they reach $450 in a calendar month before they attract super. Same goes for contractors if they are paid mainly for labor. So even if they issue you an ABN and issue you an invoice, they are still subject to super if they are paid mainly for their labor and earn whatever. It used to be $450 or more prior to the 1st of July, 2022, but now it's dollar one and then some. So yes, from this day forward, the little $450 non-super threshold no longer exists. And speaking of no longer exists, the pandemic leave disaster payment given out by the previous coalition federal government also no longer exists from this day forward. The new Labor government has announced that they have stopped handing out these payments from today. So for anybody who has tested positive to COVID-19, either via the standard PCR test or reported it via a rat test and is required to isolate for the minimum seven days and misses out on work as a result, cannot work and cannot rely on any sufficient sick leave, they are normally able to apply through Services Australia for the pandemic leave disaster payment of $750 per week, formerly $1,500 for a full 14-day fortnight back when the quarantine requirements were 14 days and back when either you tested positive yourself or were forced to isolate because someone in your household or a close contact had tested positive and you were exposed. That's all gone now. So from this day forward, which is another step closer to fully living with COVID, the government support through the pandemic leave disaster payment stops. However, if your positive test result was on or before the 30th of June and you were required to isolate or you were required to isolate and care for someone else who has tested positive for COVID-19 on or before the 30th of June and you cannot work and don't have sufficient sick leave to call upon, 
you still can apply to claim the pandemic leave disaster payment even from today onwards. So it wasn't that the cutoff date was 30th of June to apply. The cutoff date is the positive test slash isolation requirement itself. So bear that in mind. Now for tax purposes, the pandemic leave disaster payment is taxable income. So it does need to be included in your tax return, which is in stark contrast to the COVID-19 disaster payment that was issued during the last lot of lockdowns in 2021. So from about June 2021 onwards, people that were in affected lockdown and heavily restricted areas that were deemed disaster areas by either the federal government or the relevant state government could apply through Services Australia to receive the COVID-19 disaster payment if they lost between 8 and 20 hours of work. They got a certain amount, which was ranged anywhere from the high 300s to around the $420 mark, or if it was more than 20 hours of work lost in a given week, they could get a range from originally $600 up to $750. Those payments are tax exempt and do not need to be included in your tax return. So just to reiterate again, pandemic leave disaster payment, if you tested positive for COVID-19 or were required to isolate because you were caring for someone with COVID-19, that is taxable income. The COVID-19 disaster payment, which was given to anyone and everyone who lost hours of work as a result of restrictions slash lockdowns, that is tax exempt and does not have to be reported in your tax return. And finally, when lodging your individual tax return this financial year, be on the lookout for the little boost to the low income tax offset and the low and middle income tax offset. To explain more about this, here is the Assistant Commissioner for Individuals and Intermediaries at the Australian Taxation Office, Mr. Tim Lowe. Hi, I'm Tim Lowe, Assistant Commissioner at the ATO. You might have heard recently that the low and middle income tax offset has been increased for the 2021-2022 income year by $420. This means that if your taxable income is less than $126,000 and you're an Australian resident for tax purposes, your tax payable will be further reduced when you lodge your 2021-2022 tax return. The offset you receive will depend on your individual circumstances, such as your taxable income and how much tax you have paid. The amount of offset available is between $675 and $1,500. The low and middle income tax offset is not a cash refund. The offset can only reduce the amount of tax you need to pay. So if you didn't pay any tax during the year, you won't get the low and middle income tax offset. You won't need to complete anything extra in your return this tax time to receive the low and middle income tax offset. We will work out the amount for you, and if you're eligible, the offset will automatically be applied and displayed on your notice of assessment. Thanks for watching. Well, thanks for listening in our particular case, uh, that audio extracted from a video on the ATO website, courtesy of the Assistant Commissioner for Individuals and Intermediaries Mr. Tim O. That's it for our first episode of Shooting for the Stars for the new 2023 financial year. Hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have any questions coming on the back of it, by all means, come in and see us if you're in the Mildura area at 234 Deacon Avenue, Mildura. Or give us a phone call 03-5018-6444. Drop us an email, admin at scba.com.au or check out our website www.scba.com.au 
shootingforthestars.com.au. Be sure to subscribe to the Shooting for the Stars podcast wherever you get your podcast fix, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Index, or RSS.com. This is Louis Bolzomi signing off. We look forward to your company next time. And as always, our clients all have life goals, and we're here to help them identify and achieve them. Goodbye.